All right, all right, all right. So like the video bumper said, we are continuing in a series this morning. Our series is entitled Getting Personal. And uh, for those of you who may not know, my name is Steve Hoadley. I'm the worship pastor here at Hope. And uh, it is great to be with you this morning. We continue this series together. Last week, Heather Mandela, our director of small groups at the, uh, you know, was here in Mount Laurel. And you guys uh, journeyed through some different pathways, some different ways to connect to God. If you were here, maybe you remember some of those pathways. We talked about uh, connecting to God through our intellect, connecting to God through our relationships, through nature, through serving, through um, various other different ways. And this morning, we're continuing in our series. It's going to be a four-part series. Today, we're on part de. That's French, for those of you who don't know. I am Canadian, or was. Anyways. Sorry, sorry. Was Canadian, now I'm a proud American. This is going to be on the podcast, which is going to be totally weird. I know, it's kind of strange. Um, and today we're going to be looking at passion. Today we're going to be looking at passion. Passion, all right? Passion is the energy, the emotion that drives us forward. Does anyone have any passion here today? That was pretty good. That was pretty good passion. Yeah. I mean, really, we are living just outside the city of brotherly love, right? Don't we have a passionate city? Yes. Don't they always say that Philadelphians are, if anything, they are passionate? Yeah. Yo, Adrian! We did it! Right? Some of you are ready to run for the door. But anyways, I mean, passion is such a big part of who we are as a city, it's what gives us the energy and the devotion to get up when we feel like we've been knocked down or when we feel like things haven't gone our way. It's what drives our, our decisions and our desires. It drives um, our dedications. It drives our ambitions, right? We think of passionate people. We think of those crazy football fans who paint themselves different colors and their faces and they stand outside in the bitter cold, just to rage, go Eagles, something like that. I know, that wasn't very passionate. But, you know, later on today, um, I'm going to, my wife and I are going to see a ballet. And we're going to see uh, someone who has been doing ballet since they were four years old. They're 18 now, and it's their last performance in this theater company. And if I've ever seen passion, it's going to be in her performance, Right? giving all those weeks and weeks and weeks and countless hours to this activity of dance. There's, there's, uh, there's passion in the computer technician, is there not? They understand things that I totally have no idea what they all mean, but I know it's code that all goes together, that they somehow have a passion and a drive to understand and put together and to create software and abilities for us to communicate together in a way that connects us through technology, they have passion in what they do, right? Passion could be a career. It could be your hobby. It could be your family. It could be your spouse. It could be, it could be you know, anything that makes your heart excited, gets your heart pumping, makes you have energy, really turn something on inside you. And the truth that I really want to emphasize to us this morning is it doesn't matter how loud we might get when we scream passion. Everyone, everyone has a passion. Everyone has something that they feel called towards, 
a unique wiring for, a, a desire to pursue. Passion often requires sacrifice. It often requires devotion. It often requires excitement. And out of that come feelings of joy and freedom with passion. Sometimes it's even passion for comfort, right? Get me to the lazy boy. I need to take a nap. What can I do so that I can take a nap? I'm very passionate. Sunday naps, anyways. Sometimes, though, we feel a little bit beaten down by life, right? Like maybe there was a time when we were like totally knew what our passion was and what our direction was and what we were wired for. Sometimes failures make us feel like maybe that's not for us or sometimes circumstances come about and we feel like, is this path really for me? We feel like our flow is just gone and we feel a little bit like the passion's been lost. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you with this. That God has placed the passion inside every single one of you. Every single one of us has a God-given passion. Just like we connect to God in different ways, just like we're going to see next week that he gives us all different gifts, God has given each one of you a passion. And I know I'm going to steal the punchline, but I'm going to tell you what I'm going to say first and foremost. Here's what I hope we can take away with today. That not only has God given each and every one of us a passion, but that it is fully realized when we use it for God's glory. That God knows who you are. You are not a rock. You are not a cog in the machine. You are not an inanimate object. You are not a face in the crowd. You are unique. You are created. You are loved. And you are empowered by the very God of the universe that we just sang about. The very God who hung the stars in the sky is the same God who knows us each by name and who wants us to live out his God-given passion in our lives. So you ready to unpack that together? All right, let's do it. Let's turn in our Bibles to uh, Romans 12, 1 through 8. If you have a Bible app today, feel free to take that out on your smartphone. I'll believe that you're not texting. Or it's going to be on the screen, and then we're going to pray, okay? So let's look at God's Word. We believe that God's Word is... um, is our key to life, and that he truly gives us the path to walk on if we can understand it and learn together through it. So we're looking at Paul's letter to the Romans today, and we're going to be looking at uh, eight verses, I believe. Let's, uh, let's hear them together as I read. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, 
are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us then use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time that we have together today. We just ask that as we have uh, heard your holy word together, that it would stir in us by the power of your Holy Spirit that, as Pastor Dave said, is present here with us today. God, that we would truly be followers of you, Jesus. That you would help us to understand who you have created us to be, what you've done on our behalf and what you are urging us to do because of it. We truly thank you for this time, God. Speak through your servant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I titled this talk this morning, In the Zone. Turn to your neighbor and say, In the Zone. All right, in the zone. Anybody ever heard of this uh, expression before? In the zone? It's, it's not where the 76ers are. They are not in the zone. In the zone, it's when somebody has been training for a long period of time, and they're doing what they've been trained to do, and they are just fluid. You know what I mean? Everything's clicking on all cylinders. It just feels right. It feels like this is what they're supposed to be doing. And this passage of scripture is really about being in the zone. Didn't you see that? Maybe not. But hold with me. We'll unpack it together. I think this passage is about being in the zone, okay? And understanding what passion can mean to our life. So the first thing to understand about this passage in Romans is that it is really the hinge passage in this book. So the letter to the Romans that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote uh, is going on for 11 chapters. For 11 chapters, Paul is unpacking what life is really like. And it's really hard to tell you what all those 11 chapters are. In fact, there are novels upon novels upon novels of books that have been written throughout the centuries to help us. So I'm just going to dial it back for like two sentences, okay? Basically, um, the world's messed up. So are you and I. And we can't save ourselves, so Jesus came to help. All right? That's the first 11 chapters give or take. But that idea really changes the way we see the world, doesn't it? The way that we see God, the way that we see each other, that we understand that there is a saving God, right? That when we look at our lives and when we look at the world around us and we see the things that aren't working right, that don't seem to add up, we see mistakes and we see sins and we see failures and we wonder, how are we supposed to get out of this? that Jesus has made a way out. That even though all have fallen short of God's glory, all have fallen short of God's design, there is a way out. Does that give you joy today? 
I hope so. That's what Paul's referring to when he says, in, in view of God's mercy. That God's mercy is most purely understood and seen in the act of Jesus. The first 11 chapters of Romans are what God has done for us. That's what our faith is about. Our faith is about, and our understanding of God is what God has done for humanity. That he doesn't leave us on our own, but that he comes down and becomes one of us to be our example, to be our savior, to be our king, and to say, there's a better way. And it's the life with Jesus. And um, some uh, biblical scholars call this the indicative. You can feel good about learning a new word today. Actually, we steal it from grammar. It's, it's basically what's been done, the indicative, okay? And it's important to know who God is and what God has done. Because that truly forms our understanding of the world. We have to start there. But Christianity doesn't just live in this idea of who God is and what God has done, does it? It's not just a thinking idea. It's not just about what's inside, is it? There's actually, the other word is imperative. From the rest of the chapters in the book, from Romans 12 through 16, Paul is going to unpack for us the imperative. The imperative is not what's been done, but what we do because of what's been done, right? I've heard it said that grace isn't against hard work, but it is against earning our favor with God. So we can't just have a faith that just lives inside. We need to have a faith that actually moves outside, right? that changes not only the way we think, not only what we believe, but what we do, what we say, who we are, how we interact with people, how we view our work, how we view our family. That's what's so dangerous about Jesus. Jesus doesn't come just to change little things. Jesus comes to give us a better understanding of how we can live. And so Paul says, I appeal to you it's like I beg, I plead, I ask, I urge that you would present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, meaning that Jesus has laid down his life for you. Isn't the only acceptable response that we would lay down our lives for him? Jesus has laid down his life for us. How will we lay down our lives for him? The New Living Translation translates it this way. This is truly the way to worship him. This is truly the way to worship him. You know, when the first century church heard this, it may have sounded a little bit strange. Um, theologian John Stott, uh, as I was preparing for this message, reminded me that, you know, in that day, Plutonic thought was the, one of the major philosophies of the time. And it really still affects our day tremendously. Plutonic thought was this, basically in a nutshell. I'm not going to go all into it because I'll bore you. But anyways, because I probably won't say it well either. But Plutonic thought is this, basically. Your body is just a shell, okay? The part of you that really matters is what's inside. So whatever your body does, like, doesn't count, okay? It's what your soul and your mind and your, and your spirit is that really counts, 
And so what this led people to do is not really care about what their bodies did, where they walked, what their hands did. It really didn't matter because they were restoring their souls. All right? But Paul is writing from a Hebraic understanding. The Hebrews believed that the body and the mind and the soul were one. That what you did with your body was just as important as what you thought with your mind. Relationship to others was just as important as the way that you thought about others or thought about God. This is, a, this is still a distinction that I feel like we still wrestle with today. You know, sometimes we compartmentalize our lives, don't we? We see certain areas where we allow God in. Well, I'm just going to have my quiet time with God. That's going to be my God time. That's my me and God time. I'm going to do it every day because I am a contemplative and I like that. Um, and that's going to be my me and God time. Or, you know what? Sundays, man, it's the Lord's day. Sundays, Sundays are going to be God's day. Sunday is going to be God's day and I'm just going to make it all about him. I get the other six. Or, you know, when I serve, when I serve, I'm going to really feel connected to God when I serve. You know what I mean? But work, work, that's something different, right? I mean, that's my ambition. That's, that's my goal. That's, that's my area. No. That's the trouble. God doesn't look at just one part of our lives, does he? He looks at us as a whole. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This move, the place of worship, and they've, I swear you read my notes this morning. I swear, brother. This moved the place of worship from the temple to the home, from the temple to the marketplace. That God is worshiped everywhere we go, everything we do. Every interaction we have is a moment, a time, an opportunity to glorify God. A.W. Tozer said this. It's going to be on the screen. It's not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It is why he does it. Take a moment and think about what fills your day. Whether you're at home or whether you're in the office. Take a moment and read that again to yourself. It is not what a man or woman does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular, it is why he or she does it. When we use Jesus as a pill for our problems, we sell his gospel short. Jesus just doesn't want to fix our problems. He wants to give us a better life. Second, in verse 2, it says that, uh, Paul says that we should not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our minds so that we know what we can know what God's will is. Does anybody want to know what God's will is this morning? Amen. Wouldn't your life be a little bit more simpler if you could say, yo, God, what are you doing? I'm trying to figure it out. Right? Anybody had those moments? If I could just figure out what God is doing, I would know what to do. Right. 
Verse 2 in Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, the message can help us here. I think it'll be on the screen as well. Don't become so adjusted to your culture that you fit right in. Does that happen to anybody? It happens to me time to time. Don't become so adjusted to your culture that you fit right in. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to him. See, unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. Develop well-formed maturity in you. The Greek word in this passage for transformed is metamorpho. Say metamorpho. metamorpho. Good, you're awake. Excellent. Metamorpho. We could think of words like metamorphosis, right? Maybe you think of biology, the caterpillar. So land-bound and squishy and hairy and green and kind of yucky. No? And goes into this, what do they go into? A cocoon? Yeah. And they come out a butterfly. I really want to do a Bug's Life impression right now, but I'm not going to. I'm a little butterfly. Anyways, um, they come out a butterfly, right? Beautiful. It can fly. It's totally new. You know that's what Jesus does to you, right? You know that's what Jesus does to you, right? Amen. He not that you're all little icky, hairy caterpillars. I mean... But that's the change that happens to us. It is a metamorphosis. It is a change that comes upon us. And it doesn't just change one part of our lives. It changes everything about our lives. It changes the way that we look at everything. And so when we talk about the renewing of our minds, we're not just talking about the way we think. We're talking about the way that we think that informs our actions. We need to believe. Belief isn't just something eternal. I mean, not something inside. I said the wrong word. It's not something inside. It's something that comes to the outside, right? Take a look at what you do. You'll see what you believe in. Take a look at what you say. You'll see what you believe in. Again, the problem with following Jesus, we call this discipleship. Big word is discipleship. The problem with following Jesus is that he doesn't want to just fix our problems. He wants to reorganize our lives. But let's be confident in this. As we said last week, God knows you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of God's change in your life. God knows who you are. God has created you. God is well aware of your struggles. He's well aware of our weaknesses, but he is also well aware of our strengths. He is well aware of the passion that he has put inside you. There are, there are some things that change in us when we go through that metamorphosis. There are some things that need to be removed from our lives when we find Jesus as our Lord and Savior. There are, could be areas of sin or areas of just unright living that need to go away. They aren't part of how God created us. There are parts that need to be redeemed by Jesus' love and grace. But there are other parts of us that there are other parts of us that are waiting to be unlocked because of God's spirit 
in us. There are passions that God has placed inside you and inside me that he knows about, that he wants to use for something greater than ourselves. It's like, it's like a parent. It's like a parent on the bleachers or on the sideline watching their child run a race. And God is just saying, go, 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 run, 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 run. You got this. You got this. You can do it. I'm with you. I'm cheering you on. It's in you. Let's go. He wants to cheer us across the finish line. He wants to encourage us and empower us to do what he has created us to do. It's the passion inside that comes out of us. As Heather said last week, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Workmanship can also mean a work of art. Some of you in this room are gifted engineers. You see how things work together. You see components and systems and numbers. Use it for God's glory. Some of you in this room love kids. You're just attracted to their energy and their spunk and their youthfulness. Use that passion for God's glory. Some of you are artistic. Some of you play instruments or paint paintings or whatever the case may be. Use that passion for God's glory. I wanted to take a moment and talk about a person really important to me this morning. I don't often do so, so please give me some grace. It, it might take some time. but my, my, my wife Gwen is here today, sitting over there. I told her I was going to pick on her. Anyways, actually, uh, pretty, pretty cool. I just had this thought today. My wife, Gwen, and I have been singing and leading worship together for over 20 years, which is pretty cool. I'm very thankful that. So as I was prepping this message, I thought of her story. I said, hey, babe, can I share this? And she's like, I guess, if it's helpful. So um, for those of you who don't know my wife, she is an art teacher in Lindenwald Public Schools. She teaches uh, K to 4. Um, art, but the road to being an art teacher wasn't really all that straight or smooth necessarily for her. Um, in high school, Gwen was uh, really into singing, uh, but was also really into art, and she knew she had a passion for both of those fields, and so she took a summer in her junior year and took classes in Philadelphia uh, over the summer to see if this was really something for her at Moore College of Art. And it really was, and she decided to pursue uh, an art degree. Ended up getting accepted to the Hushin School of Art, uh, which is an illustration and design school in Philadelphia. And she completed that degree, and, um, but also knew that she had a passion for kids. Throughout uh, high school and even into college, she just loved being around kids. We'd work in preschools, would do Sunday school things, and but really wasn't sure what, how that was going to unpack. I mean, just it seems like I'm being drawn to art, and really, school and my wife don't always mix. Just saying. Um, so you know, she finishes her design and, and art degree, and is in the field and uh, tries that out for a couple years and really is finding like nothing's really clicking. 
And so it's tough. It's tough when you feel like, you know, you have a passion for this, and this is what God has led you to do, and it's not working out. I don't know if you can feel that way at all, if you've ever felt that way, but that's where she was. And, um, you know, she was seeing all her friends going on and doing life, and she just felt like standing still. And a lot of the technology was changing around her, and a lot of the ways that she'd been trained just weren't fitting in the workplace for, for a while. And so she decided to make a really brave and courageous choice. And she decided to stay at home and go back to school. And she worked her way through various different schools and various different courses. She had to go back to school when her dad was diagnosed with cancer. She had to work through advisors who were less than helpful. But she did it. She ended that journey, and she graduated with her teaching degree in Catholic uh, schools uh, in the area, and uh, now, again, teaches in Lindenwald. And I truly believe that God has created her for this task, that finally this connection between her passions of teaching and kids and art had come together. But if you talk to Gwen about it later, you might hear that, you know, there was still an itch. There was still this place where she felt like, you know, when somebody needs something at church, I just don't know what to do. She say, you know, when somebody's sick, everybody just like needs to bring a meal. And Steve, you do all the cooking, so like, what's the deal? Or somebody always has like medical advice because they're in like the nursing field and, you know, they come alongside and say, well, you should take this drug and take that drug and, you know, all that kind of stuff. She says to herself, all I can do is, all I can do is paint a picture. A really close friend of ours um, had been diagnosed with prostate cancer. Some of you know him really well. And um, she just said, you know, I know what his favorite scripture is. I'm going to paint him this picture, and I'm going to give it to him. And uh, it, was, it was a moving moment in our friendship and in our lives for her to take this passion and to give it to our friend who was in a moment of need and difficulty. But it didn't just stop there. You know, we're, we're in a community group, and uh, we wanted to reach out and give back to our community. So oh, we, somebody in our group uh, made up a time when we could go to the Ronald McDonald House. Ronald McDonald House is uh, in Camden, and families from all across the country come to that house to stay while their children are receiving treatment and surgeries. They are, are struggling, struggling with where they find themselves, struggling with anxiety, wondering what tomorrow is going to bring. And so we, uh, we went there as a community group, and of course, what do they want us to do? Make a meal. Here we go again, right? But they said, why don't you do an activity with the kids? And so Gwen's like, well, we can, we can do an activity with the kids. I work with kids every day. Why don't we just do some painting? So she brought our supplies all in. And something, something really miraculous happened. Because the kids liked it, but these moms came in. These moms came in and sat down and just started to paint. And Gwen would give them directions and show them how to do it. And it was like, for this brief moment, they forgot where they were. They were truly ministered to in that place. 
that God was using this passion that my wife had, this gift that he had given, to take these moms out of this moment of sadness and despair and anxiety and let them just feel a little whole again in that moment. And you know, God continued to urge Gwen in her, in her walk. She said, you know, I think there's something more here. And so that's where our Praising with Paint classes came from. They're afterward on Sunday nights. She came to Maryland and said, I feel like people can connect to God with this. And I, I know how to paint. That's what God's given me a passion for. I wonder if he can use that for something more. And so they created this time where they could come together as ladies and women and, and be surrounded by art and scripture and fellowship. And I tell that story not to embarrass my wife, but to inspire us that there might be something inside you, a passion inside you, that you think, you know, I, I just do this. I don't know how I can help. But God has specifically put that passion inside you to be used for his glory. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, sometimes when Jesus comes in and changes our lives, we see how broken the world is. And so it's not a passion from the, from the inside that needs to come out, but it is change on the outside. Sometimes we look around and we say, you know what, something's got to be done. And you're motivated because you know how the world can be better because of Jesus. Bill Hybels said, I believe the motivating reason why millions of people choose to do good in the world around them is because there is something wrong in that world. When we find Jesus and when we ask him to be the Lord and the Savior of our lives, he gives us a new way to see the world. And we're able to see that there is brokenness in our world that we can help with. This, I believe, is where the impetus to do mission comes from. When we want to go into communities in our own nation and around the world and say that this world is broken, but we can do something about it, we're not going to stop. We're not going to see people in need and not do anything. We're going to have passion rise up in us and believe that because Jesus has done something in us, there is something that we can do to change the world. Amen? Amen. But be careful of this. Stay humble, my friends. We need to stay humble. That's what verse 3 reminds us. That there are many passions that we may have, just like there's many pathways and many gifts. Know that they all work together. Stay humble in what God has given to us. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he has done for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. There are many passions, but there is one God for all of them. So here's the point. Your passion is for his glory. Your passion is for his glory. I was thinking about it this way. Instead of laying our lives on the altar, how about we live our lives on the altar? 
Instead of laying your life down, why don't you live it up? Don't lay your life on the altar. Live it on the altar. Your passion is for his glory. Our passion as a church is for his glory. To finish up, I just want to share with you, I'm very passionate about a lot of things. But it probably doesn't come to a surprise that I'm very passionate about Jesus. And I think that many of you here are just as passionate about him too. And when we're passionate about Jesus, we recognize that Jesus is literally the hope of the world. When we're passionate about Jesus, we recognize that it is Jesus who has saved us, not ourselves. When we are passionate about Jesus, we recognize that we want every person to know this most beautiful and awesome person that is our God. When we're passionate about Jesus, we believe that he not only takes our failures, but he gives us freedom to work in his spirit and to go where he has called us to go. When we're passionate about Jesus, we make him not just a part of our lives, we make him the center of our lives. When we're passionate about Jesus, we recognize that all we are, all I am, as a pastor, as a father, as an American, as a musician, as fill-in-the-blank, a man. And when we place Jesus in the center of our lives, and when we're truly passionate for his glory, it will change the way we look at our family. It will change the way we look at our church. It'll change the way we look at our work. It'll change the way we look at our neighborhoods. It'll change the way that we look at the nations. It'll literally change everything about who we are. So I want us to take a moment and don't make this abstract. Van's going to come, Lonnie and Chris, and we're going to sing a song together. And I want to ask that you would just lean in this morning. Lean into the place where God has given you passion. It might be doing your job well, whatever your job is. It might be raising a family to follow Christ. It might be to be a part of a new campus that is seeking to reach people far from God. But think this morning about what you are passionate about and how God can use you. We're going to stand to our feet. You've been sitting long enough, right? And I want to encourage you as we sing these words, sometimes we talk about words that are dangerous to sing. They're dangerous because what they can mean for our lives. So as we sing these words, let's really think about what they could mean for us today. Really be leaning into what passion God has wired in you and that your passion was created for his glory.